0: Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side by side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Kids, you can be dismissed to Children's Church at this time if you wish. Uh, the rest of us, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 is where we are. That will be our text this entire Advent series. Um, as we look at a sermon series titled, Hope Has a Name, namely, His Name Shall Be Called. Our hope is in our wonderful counselor, Last week, our mighty God. And this week, our everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Last week, we did some contextual work. Uh, last week, we saw that this promised Messiah is a wonderful counselor for the aimless. Uh, those who are looking for direction, those are who are looking for direction in their lives, for a path to follow in their lives, the wonderful counselor comes to people who are walking in darkness and shines his light And leads us in the way that we should go. He is the wise counselor. He knows how all the pieces fit together. And he is good to us. Today we will consider the second name. Mighty God. Our Messiah is the mighty God for the powerless. And you will recall that the prophet Isaiah is speaking to a people who are on the brink of national and spiritual disaster. The Assyrians are pressing into them. They are going in all sorts of ways. They're seeking counsel for everybody but God. And instead of looking to God for counsel, they look to God and blame him for their predicament. Even though God in his grace reminds you, mind you, God, in his grace, sent them a prophet named Isaiah, oddly enough, who this book is named after. This is the prophet Isaiah, his prophecy. God was gracious to send them a prophet, to call them back to himself, but it turns out that people don't always listen to God's words spoken through his prophets. And we often think we know better. We often think that we are stronger. We often think that we are just fine, that we will get a buy just on our own. Have you ever felt like that before or been tempted to think that before? As it goes for us, when we think that way, that we know better than God, that we think we're stronger than God and wiser in God and don't listen to God's word or his prophets who are speaking God's word, we quickly find, just as it did in Isaiah's day, in Isaiah chapter 9, that things went from bad to worse. The people continued to look for answers and they only blamed God instead of trusting in God. And the Bible says what these people need in Isaiah chapter eight, verse 20, they need a dawn. They need light to shine upon them because they are dark and they're walking in darkness and they can't find their way out and they will not find their way out unless a light shines upon them. And to these people... Who continually rebel against God, who continually don't listen to God and don't listen to His prophets, to these people who are walking in darkness, who are in gloom and anguish instead of saying, I'm done with you. God gives them a promise. Let that settle on your soul for a second. Instead of saying, I'm done with you and all of your rebellion, God gives them a promise and says, I am not done with you. The message isn't, if I were a prophet, perhaps at this point, I would be tempted to say, you stink, good luck. I'm tired of trying to get through to your thick skulls. But God is gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and he is so good. And so the message for those who are walking in darkness is not you stink, you good luck. He says a light will shine upon you. There will be a dawn. I will send a light upon you. What grace. And know the message up front. The people who think they know better. To people they think that are who think they are strong enough, God comes with grace and mercy and hope. To a hopeless people, God says, Here is hope, and his name, his wonderful counselor, mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That your hope doesn't depend upon your circumstances. Your hope depends upon God and his grace and his goodness. And he is saying, I am coming to you. I am coming to you, for unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. What grace there is in our God. Hope has a name, and we'll see this morning that hope, we have a mighty God, so we are a people with unshakable hope. The first thing I want you to see in this passage that we didn't quite draw out last week, the first thing I want you to see about this prophecy is it's making clear that the Messiah of whom this prophecy speaks. So he's speaking of a Messiah. Isaiah is saying in Isaiah nine. Remember, first, 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 first Peter chapter one tells us the prophets spoke of things they knew they didn't quite completely understand yet they knew there was a greater fulfillment to come so isaiah knows that but what's clear of this messiah that isaiah is speaking of that the lord is prophesying to his people through isaiah what he's making clear so here's the first kind of big thing under mighty god that i want you to know about this prophecy that god is making it clear through isaiah that this messiah will be mighty god namely that he will be human and divine This Messiah that is coming to people who are walking in darkness. This Messiah that will bring joy and hope and shine light upon them. This Messiah that will lead them in the everlasting way once and for all. This will be mighty God. This Messiah will be human and divine. We get this in Isaiah chapter 9, 6. And you can kind of start to see it. What Isaiah says is, A child is born unto you a child is born. And unto you a son is given." And so by that language, and one of the function of these couplets, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, is Isaiah's getting across to you is not only will this Messiah be born, but it's one who is given to you. He is human and he is divine. What Isaiah is saying is yes, a true king is coming. Your Messiah is coming. And yes, the promised king will be God himself. The mighty God this Messiah will be. This will not just be another king. And some will say, well, this was fulfilled by Hezekiah. Uh, maybe in a sense, uh, Hezekiah, the, the, the good king that would follow this prophecy, perhaps could be a partial fulfillment of, of this prophecy. But it still left the people longing because this said it would be an everlasting kingdom. Hezekiah's kingdom wasn't an everlasting kingdom and it wasn't as good as David. So they're, they're still waiting. So this prophecy was not yet fulfilled in their day, maybe partially, but not fully, because he promised that, yes, a true king is coming, a human king is coming, and yes, it will be God himself. What Isaiah is saying by calling this child unto us, a child is born, unto us a son is given, that his name will be mighty God, this promise indicates that the Lord himself will enter into human history, that the Bible is clear, that the long-awaited Messiah will be both human and divine. The second big kind of overarching thing I want you to see about this prophecy is not only this prophecy saying that our coming Messiah in Isaiah 9 will be both human and divine. The second thing I kind of want you to see big picture-wise, second is that this prophecy is clearly fulfilled in Jesus. And we're going to tease this out a little bit more as we go along. So the promise is human and divine, And second, I want you to see that this promise is fulfilled in Jesus, that these echoes, here's how I'll think of it, these echoes that we hear in Isaiah 9 that, hey, a king is coming. The Old Old Testament is announcing, I'm coming for you. 700 years before the birth of Christ, we hear this echo echoing throughout the ages that when the fullness of time comes, God will send forth a son. These echoings that, echoes that are kind of bouncing off the walls of history and particularly spoken through the prophet Isaiah. What we hear echoing throughout, throughout history is, I'm coming for you. I'll be there soon to rescue you. And so those faint sounds get louder and louder throughout history, throughout God's prophets. And then for 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is silence. And then breaking through the silence is this angel's announcement that goes like this. Remember the promise, unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. The angel's announcement in Luke, unto you is born this day. In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This echo that you heard in Isaiah 9, this child that you have been waiting for, the angels burst forth singing unto you, this is the one you've been waiting for. This is the one who will rescue you. This is the promised king. In fact, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 2 says this, and you, child, will be called the prophet talking about his son, John the Baptist, the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise, the dawn, the, the light that was promised has come in Christ. The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. And he guides our feet into the way of peace. We hear all of those names, the tender mercy of our everlasting father, the guidance of our wonderful counselor, the peace of our prince of peace and the mighty God, the most high is among us. Oh, the glory, the promise of God to visit us And now the dawn that we so desperately need has come in Jesus Christ. He is our wonderful counselor to guide us, our prince of peace, to deal with us tenderly as our everlasting father. Jesus is the yes and amen of all of the promises of God are found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. So Isaiah chapter 9 is telling us this. He's human and divine. The angel's announcement is proclaiming this is the one that our Christ is both human and divine, the very one that we needed. I ran across this illustration in my studies this week. Anybody uh, listened to Paul Harvey growing up? I loved listening to him on the radio. The wonderful radio voice told wonderful stories and um, I loved hearing him come on uh, the radio. And the famous radio personality Paul Harvey once told the story of a kind good man who chose to stay home from church one Christmas Eve. The thought of God coming to earth as a man was incomprehensible to him and thus implausible. So he sent his family off to Christmas Eve service and settled in at home. And as he sat in the quiet, he heard a thud against his window. And when he went to investigate, he found a flock of birds outside in an attempt to escape the cold. One of them had flown into his large landscaped window, landscape window. He took pity on the birds and began to think of ways to lead them to warmth. And the man tried in several different ways to lead them to his barn, but the birds scattered, frightened by the strange man. And the man, recognizing the birds' fear, thought to himself, if only I could be a bird and speak their language, I could show them the way to safe, to a safe, warm barn. But I would have to become one of them so that they could see, hear, and understand. And then the bells of the church began to ring. And at the moment, a new sense of understanding dawned on the man. Jesus became like us in every way to show us the way to the Father. John is clear about that. It's not only in this part of Scripture that we see this, but in John chapter 1. Let me read that to you. So we see human and divine. We see this echo fulfilled in Christ. We see it confirmed by the angels as they announce unto us, the child is born, kind of connecting the dots for you here. And we see this clearly proclaimed in the opening pages of the Gospel of John. A familiar passage perhaps to some, but let me go ahead and read it, uh, before, read it to us this morning. So Jesus is mighty God. The, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God. The true light, do you you hear echoes of Isaiah 9? Those who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Do you hear those echoes that, yes, he is our light? Do you hear that? Do you hear those echoes coming? This is the source of all those echoes. The voice of him, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but by God. No one has ever seen God, verse 18 of John chapter one, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made himself known to us. By becoming like us in every way, he has revealed to us The glory of God, this God-man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the mighty God. This singular person, this is a theological truth that we don't need to forget. He is fully God, fully man, and one spectacular person. God could have chosen to bring his son into the world any other way, but he didn't. He saw fit in his unsearchable wisdom, this wonderful counselor, for our joy and for the glory of his son to do it the way he did At the first Christmas. Wayne Grudem, a theologian, says it's something like this. He says, God in his wisdom ordained a combination of human and divine influence in the birth of Christ so that his full humanity would be evident to us, and the fact of his ordinary human birth from a human mother and his full deity would be evident from the fact of his conception in Mary's womb by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. John is making it clear to us that Jesus is God, that the one who came is the one who created all things, that the one who made us has come to live among us, that eternity stepped into time, eternity stepped into our lives, and for all who believe and receive, he gives the right to become children of God. In these few verses in John chapter one, we see that Jesus is the mighty creator. All things that were made were made by him and through him. He is the eternal word. We see in John chapter 1 that he comes to give life, or in him was life. He was not just the giver of life, but he was the source of life. He was not just light, he was the source of light. He is light itself. In him is light and this light cannot be overcome. In John chapter 1, we see that this mighty God, Jesus Christ, this one who is human, who took on flesh and is divine. He comes to raise up us, us up to life. That those who are born are born of God, not by our own power, not by our own might, but by the God who is mighty to save He comes to reveal the glory of God, just as Paul Harvey was expressing in that illustration that Jesus came, that no one has ever seen the invisible God, the only God, but he has made him known. In Jesus Christ, we behold the glory of God. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us this. And so this promised Messiah that will be a human and divine was announced by the angels. This promise of the Messiah that was human and divine was made clear in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God uh, Was God in the beginning. And there was nothing made in all of creation that was not made by him. The Word was God. Take a sidebar with me for a minute. I want us to consider this. This I find this helpful. Perhaps you will find this helpful. So I'm proclaiming what the scripture is saying, that Jesus is God. Let's imagine for a moment if he is not God. Let's imagine for a moment that he's only human, that this prophecy was just about a human being that would be born and just be a wonderful leader and a wonderful teacher. And perhaps you've heard this argument before. One writer says it like this, if Jesus is not God, then there's no Christianity, and we who worship him are nothing more than idolaters. Conversely, if he is God, I want to think, this, let's take this little sidebar and consider this. Those who say that he was merely a good man or even the best of men are blasphemers. More serious still, if he is not God, then he's a blasphemer The full in the fullest sense of the word. If he's not God, then he's not even good. Why is he saying this? Because the scripture declares it, and Jesus himself said it. He declared that he was God. He declared that he was sinless. He declared and made it clear that he was God. He showed that he was God by calming storms, by healing sick, and declaring that all of the prophecy in the Old Testament was about him. He applied Isaiah to himself. And so theologians over the years, have you heard this argument before? If Jesus is not God, it's kind of a threefold argument. Have you heard this? Then he's a liartic, lun- a liar, a liartic. <laughs> a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. There's the only three ways we can have it. Have you heard that before? A couple of you? Liar, lunatic, or lord. In nineteen thirty six, a man named Watchman Nee put this argument forward like this. He says If Jesus claims to be God and yet in fact is not, then he is a madman or a lunatic. Second, have you ever seen anybody in in this world just even act like a God and they look like a liar or a lunatic, but he was actually claiming to be God. And the scripture claimed he was God. Second, if he's neither God nor a lunatic, then he has to be a liar, deceiving others by his lie. And third, if he's neither of these, he must be God. So Watchman Nee says, you have only these three possibilities. Perhaps even more famously, as we continue on this sidebar, I'm declaring Jesus as God, but we're imagining for a moment, what if he's not? He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. More famously, have you heard of C.S. Lewis before? He said in 1942, and published in Mere Christianity in 1952, a very similar argument that theologians had been making over the years. Listen to what he said. He says, I'm trying here to prevent, prevent here anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God much less a mighty God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level that a man says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us, and he did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious, Lewis goes on to say, that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however, strange or terrifying, or as unlikely as it may seem, I have accepted, Lewis says, the view that he was and is God. If Jesus is not God, then is he, he is either a liar or a lunatic. And if he is not God, let's go on and continue on this sidebar. If he is not God, then he is a liar and a lunatic. And if he is not the mighty God that was promised that we have given our lives to, then we are the most miserable people. For we are idolaters and we have no hope. We are hopeless people because our sin still leaves us condemned. We do not have a substitute. We do not have a mediator. And we have been looking to the God-man, Jesus Christ, who who in him we behold the glory of God. And we have misbeheld the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we've missed it. And therefore, we are people with no hope. And that's pretty miserable. If we are hopeless people. Instead, we know that the reason he took on flesh was to defeat sin and death. In order to be the mediator we needed, he became what he had to become, just like that man who was desiring to be a bird to lead the people in the way that they could go. He had to become in order to make us what we could never become on our own. If he is not God, if he is not the mighty God, then Isaiah was a liar, the angels were a liar, John chapter one was a liar, and Jesus himself was a liar. He's just another religious leader at best, but more than that, we see that Jesus is not just another religious leader. He is a Savior. For His name will be called Jesus. For He will save His people from their sins. Let's consider a couple more, and then we'll exit this sidebar and get into some application for us today. So we see this prophecy is clear, that Jesus is human divine. We see the Bible is clear. Angels announcement, John chapter 1, that Jesus, this echo that we heard throughout the ages that God would come and dwell among us and and take on flesh and dwell among us is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. As we take this sidebar, we we realize that Jesus has to be God or he is nothing and not worth following. If Jesus is God, then, then if he's not God, then we are miserable people. Let's answer these questions before we proceed any farther. Why must he be a true and righteous man? Catechisms are very helpful in this. The Heidelberg Catechism is very helpful in this. For the Heidelberg Catechism simply gives simple answers to very profound questions. Why must he be a true and righteous man? Here's the answer. He must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. So why was he a man? So that he might take on flesh. Why was he a righteous, sinless man? So that he might be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Brothers and sisters, here's what I'm getting across to you. You have a savior and his name is Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. He is the mighty God. This other question from the catechism, why must he also be true God? So that the answer is, very simply, by the power of his divinity, he might bear the weight of God's anger and his humanity and earn for us and, rest- and earn for us and restore to us righteousness in life. The weight of our sin was infinite in quality, and it would take an infinite person to infinitely satisfy the wrath of God, and God has done it for us in Jesus Christ. In short, the answer is. Jesus had to be truly God, so that He could satisfy god 's wrath and secure for us the true righteous, true righteousness and true life. Jesus is God, and this is a glorious thing for we have a substitute and mediator so let 's go ahead and start putting it together and then give some application as we begin to draw to an end. So Jesus is mighty God. And listen to the hope that we have. He is strong. He is a mighty warrior. That which was was in the beginning, Jesus Christ always was and always will be and is yet to come. Jesus is mighty God. And so what we see in Isaiah chapter 9, since he is God, we can put our trust in him and listen to what this mighty God will do. Listen to what Christ will do. He will multiply the nation so other people will come to faith in Jesus Christ. He will bring a harvest, a harvest of joy, a harvest like an enemy when is defeated and brings, and we have victory and we divide the spoils of the enemy. He is mighty to shoulder the governing of the world. He is a mighty God that will bring about the light that we need. This is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Bible says about the mightiness of God. He has he has dried up the so the, he has dried up the sea, so the peoples would know he is mighty. So this is a God who makes Himself known to us. He rescues us from our strong enemies. Psalm eighteen seventeen, Psalm twenty eight verse, Psalm twenty four verse eight. Who is this King of Glory? He is the Lord, strong and mighty, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Our fathers, listen to what the Bible says, "...when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but they rebelled at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power." The mighty power of God was displayed throughout the Old Testament, and it's most clearly displayed in Jesus Christ. Our Lord God is mighty. He's mighty to save any, even when we rebel, yet he saves them for his name's sake. And so we look to Christ. Listen to this. The one who calms seas, the one who heals the sick, the one who raises the dead, And we realize this mighty God, this Jesus Christ who is divine, who is human, who is our perfect substitute and mediator exactly as we needed, this mighty God, our Jesus Christ is mighty God. He is so strong and he is so kind to us. He is so kind to us. He is mighty and in his might, he embraces us. He embraces us. How does he do this? As I've been saying, he's our substitute and mediator. He's the perfect sacrifice. So you can rest, brothers and sisters, because all of your sins are under the blood of Jesus Christ. With a mighty God who is strong and infinite and mighty, the eternal word took on flesh so that he might die to cover sinners in his grace by becoming our substitute, by becoming our mediator. If he is not human, we have no substitute. If he is not mighty, we don't have a sufficient substitute. Nevertheless, the Bible declares to us this morning that Jesus Christ, the son given to us, is the mighty God and his sacrifice is sufficient for you. He is our substitute and our mediator and he makes a way for us to the father. This is how our Christ uses his might. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, He is able, this mighty God, to save us to the uttermost. I want you to understand the might of God. That if you feel your sin is so deep that he could not save you, you've gone so far that he would never rescue you, May I remind you this morning that your Savior, this son given, born in a manger, is the mighty God. And the Bible says he sings over us with his love that he's able to save us to, his, to the uttermost. There is nothing he is not able to do to save us to the uttermost because he is the mighty God. So if you feel as though you're too deep, too far, too gone, may I remind you this morning that the Savior that has come for us is a mighty God. And he saves to the uttermost. May I remind you to fear not and not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness and he will quiet you by his his love. And he will exalt over you with loud singing. God is in our midst and he is the mighty one who will save. And his grace towards us is astounding and unstoppable. We can raise the banner high over our lives that we are loved by the mighty God. And we can raise the banner high to our world that the God who saves is a mighty God and is able to save to the uttermost. What was that? If that was the banner over our lives, that we are saved by the mighty God. So what? So what? Let me give you four things. Since he is mighty, we can stop flexing. Since he is mighty, we can stop flexing. We can stop trying to seek power through self-promotion. Since he is the mighty one, we can stop flexing and we can start trusting. Power comes at all sorts of levels, high levels, low levels, daily levels, we seek power and we try to flex in all sorts of ways. We want the first to be informed about information or the first to spread information or we're constantly working to self-promote and build our resumes and do all sorts of things, trying to self-promote and make ourselves look great. We serve a mighty God. He is the one with the power. We need it to make make it clear to the world that he is the one with, with, with power. So since he is mighty, we can stop One theologian said it like this. He believed all human struggle can be brought back to a sense of our fear of being dependent and powerless. He says, The original temptation in the Garden of Eden was to resent the limits of God that he had put on us and to seek to be as God by taking power over our own destiny. And we give in to this temptation, and now it is part of our nature. Rather than accept our finitude and dependence upon God, we desperately seek ways to assure ourselves that we have power over our own lives. And this theologian goes on to say this is cosmic insecurity. We don't have to be insecure. Since he is almighty, we can stop flexing. Since he is almighty and we serve the mighty God and he has come to save us, we can embrace weakness. Philippians chapter 2 tells us for the joy that set before him, he endured the cross. That he laid aside his power and his glory so that he might come to us and reveal himself to us. He went low in order to raise us up. This is the paradox of Christmas. that The promised Messiah, the king of kings, the Lord of lords was found in a feeding trough. Since he is almighty and he went low to raise us up, we can embrace weakness, not just as our example, but as our power. Since he is mighty, we can stop flexing. Since he is mighty, we can go low and become servants and trust the power of God. Thirdly, since he is almighty God, we can be empowered by his spirit. It says, not by power or by might, but by my spirit declares the Lord. So the power that we live by is the power of the Spirit of God living in us. Since he is mighty, would you stop quenching the spirit in your life and start living by the power of the almighty God who came to save you? Since he is mighty, you can stop flexing. Since he is mighty, we can embrace weakness. Since he is mighty, we can be empowered by his spirit. Finally, since he is mighty, We have this hope among us. We have unshakable hope. Our sins are forgiven. The perfect satisfaction for our sins has been given. The perfect sacrifice has been given in Jesus Christ. Your sins are covered. His name is Jesus. He will save his people from their sins, and he has accomplished it on the cross of Jesus Christ. You have that assurance. Your present is unshakable, your future is secure. Our hope is not a weak hope, but a certain hope and a secure hope, for we serve the mighty God. Brothers and sisters, there's good news for the weak, for unto you a child is born, and his name is mighty God. Brothers and sisters, there is good news for those who are dwelling in the shadow of death. The mighty God has cast his mighty light and nothing can overwhelm it. Brothers and sisters, there's good news for the sinner. The mighty God has taken on flesh and dealt with your sin on the cross. And the mighty God has risen victoriously and has broken the curse, broken the burden, and broken the shame. And because of the mighty God's triumph, he leads us, the Bible says, in a triumphal procession by his grace, letting us partake in the victor spoiled, namely eternal life, and with it every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places." brothers and sisters, we have this unshakable hope, and this hope depends and rests on the shoulders of the Almighty God, for on His shoulders, the Bible says, the government will be, and His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let's pray.